This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I'm really excited for tonight's episode. With me, as usual, is Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, welcome. Hey, Paul. How's it going? Happy uh, three-day weekend. Absolutely. First round of the playoffs, almost in the books. We have the premiere of Monday Night Football playoffs, and we are so excited to be joined by special guests. I think this back-to-back years we've had you on around this time, Kyle Kyle Yates of Fantasy Pros. Kyle, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. Thank you, my friend. It is so good to be back on with you and uh, getting to talk some dynasty. This is what I this is what I live for, man. To be able to talk some dynasty content, looking back at uh, at the year one rookies and and breaking it all down. So yeah, I'm excited to be here, guys. Absolutely. And and Jeff and I have been sharing our thoughts every single week when we do an episode with our you know, NFL rookie report. So it's always great at the end of the year to bring on somebody else, hear some different takes, see how your perspective is a little bit different than Jeff and I. So do we definitely have a, you know, six, seven pack of questions. Hopefully we can get to, to kind of pick your brain here. Uh, Let's get it right off with the quarterbacks. And I get Mac Jones was clearly, as we've seen the most ready and performed the best of the rookie quarterbacks this year. But as we transition into this offseason, how do you kind of rank the quarterbacks for dynasty, the rookies, going forward? You know, because I think it's very much up for debate. How much do we weight pre-draft analysis versus rookie on-field performance? Some people we didn't see much action for, like Trey Lance. And everyone has different situations, different environments and surroundings. I think it makes it very tricky going into this offseason, kind of how to appropriately value these rookie quarterbacks. Well, it's funny. You mentioned like Mac Jones being the most, you know, pro ready and like having the best year wasn't exactly difficult to do for him (laughs) when you look at the other rookie quarterbacks and how they fared. Right. Trey Lance, only two games played. Justin Fields was dealing with, I mean, Matt Nagy and a mishmash of offensive schemes and systems, you know, like that. No one knows what exactly offense he was running there in Chicago. So he was set up to fail. Trevor Lawrence had Urban Meyer that entire you know disaster and fiasco and and Zach Wilson showed that I mean Zach Wilson coming in I don't know how you guys felt about him but for me Zach Wilson was a project he was someone that you were going to have to live with a down rookie year potentially a down second year and then at you know year three that's really when he could hit his stride once he starts to figure out uh figure out things so yeah Mac Jones definitely like he performed well because he was in the best situation right you had a, a star offensive line there in new england you had a defense that was playing lights out a solid run game to support him all mac jones really had to do was get the ball out and be able to distribute it and that was his best trait uh and what he did at alabama it was just get the ball out accurately get it into the hands of the playmakers and so absolutely i think that mac jones deserves a ton of credit for what he did this year but you have to recognize that these other guys were certainly in some terrible and crappy situations so as we look ahead to 2022 and the future I think that we're going to see big bounce back years from all three of the guys that I mentioned with Trey Lance with Justin Fields with Trevor Lawrence I think Zach Wilson like I alluded to earlier we're going to have to wait just a little bit further I think that New York is going to have to uh, do quite a bit around him to be able to get him to the point where we feel super confident with him from a fantasy perspective but as we look at Trey Lance heading into 2022 unless Jimmy Garoppolo takes the 49ers to the Super Bowl and wins it i think that we're going to see trey lance as a starter next year he's going to be dominant from a fantasy perspective with the offense that he's in the playmakers he's got his rushing ability then as we look at justin fields all right let's revamp the offense around him let's get a solid 
coach in here who knows what they're doing on offense. I think that we're going to see Justin Fields take a massive step forward as well. And then the question all becomes with Trevor Lawrence, what exactly do you do around him? Do you invest more in the wide receiver position? Who's the coach that they bring in? What's the stability? So I think as you look at all three of those other guys and putting Jones and Wilson kind of aside, I'm expecting big bounce back performances. If you ask me, which is the guy that I really want to lean on next year, it's going to be Trey Lance for me. That was my guy coming into last year. I had him as QB1 in the draft uh, over Trevor Lawrence. This was a guy that looking at his long-term ability and effect on for fantasy football, this is someone that I'm a big believer in. So I think that based on the flashes that we saw this year in the limited, limited, uh, you know, sample size, I think it's going to be a big year for Trey Lance in 2022. Yeah. Being a 49ers fan, I'm uh, pretty excited to hear that. I know you were quite on him from the get-go Kyle. So, um, and then when we watch what, you know, Josh Allen just did, you know, those are the visions that I have in my head, uh, very optimistically for sure. Let's, let's switch over to the running backs because that's really where the meat and bones of fantasy is. And, you know, with with his performance on the field this year, I think it's pretty safe to say most people will have Najee as their top rookie running back. Um, so where in the overall ranks uh, do you think it's pertinent to slot him in as we start to transition um, from other key producers like McCaffrey and Cook and Henry as they start to age out or start dealing with injuries? Yeah, to kick off the conversation with Najee Harris, I've got him at RB4 in my dynasty rankings. So this is where I am looking at Najee and saying that based on the other guys that you talked about in dynasty over Christian McCaffrey, over Dalvin Cook, I am preferring Najee Harris if I'm in a startup draft. I'm taking him over those guys because of his his youth, because of his durability, and because of the workload that he sees in in uh, in Pittsburgh. Like This is someone that we know the workload, 381 touches this year, which is just absurd. And we know that he can handle it. We know that he has the size to be able to handle that workload. And it was so funny, like la- watching the game last night, right? We're recording this on Monday, like Sunday night football watching and him fumbling. It was like, a, oh my word, Najee Harris fumbled. It was like a shocking thing because that was just something that he had not done on such a large workload with 381 touches, like I mentioned. So I think, lo- yes, Najee Harris, we have to, looking back at 2021, we have to say that he is the main running back here in this class, RB1 looking at what he did here the conversation then turns to is he rb1 moving forward there's a case to be made if things go right for javante williams that he could potentially become that rb1 to come out of this past draft class yeah quick thought about javante williams i want to kind of pick your brain a little further on is i've already seen people and I'm in a little bit more, a little bit more reservations. A lot of people are already saying he's a locked and loaded first round pick in redraft leagues next year. He should already be a top 10, top 12 dynasty running back. Where do you kind of stand on him going into this off season? And is it predicated on Melvin Gordon or another similar still quality veteran running back not being on the roster when you're kind of making that pr- prediction in terms of maybe where his value is right now moving forward? It's funny. I think that the most, the player that we are going to talk the most about over the next couple of months before we get to NFL free agency is going to be Javante Williams, because this is a player that I'm more reserved as well. I'm on your side, Paul, where I say, I'm just a little bit more reserved here about before we crown Javante Williams as this top tier fantasy football running back. And and don't get me wrong. He has the talent. He absolutely has the talent to be able to do so. But it is, I think, dependent upon Melvin Gordon walking away in free agency. And then also, what's the coaching staff? Who's the coach now going to be in Denver? And do they do they lean on a committee approach? Or do they want to lean on one particular guy 
And we, if that is the case, then Javante Williams absolutely could be a top three. He could be the RB1 in fantasy football because of the talent. It's funny, I was talking about Javante Williams as we did a dynasty running back rankings uh, kind of audit with on the Fantasy Pros Dynasty podcast with Marcus Mosher. And we talked about Javante Williams. He brought up the fact that in Dynasty League's football, uh, Dynasty League football's recent ADP update, Javante Williams is going off the board as the RB2 in Dynasty rookie drafts or in Dynasty drafts, excuse me. So that is, I've got him down at 10 in my Dynasty rankings. That is to rank him at RB2 off the board. That is, and only behind Jonathan Taylor, right? It's Jonathan Taylor, it's Javante Williams. That is assuming that they're getting a massive quarterback upgrade, that Melvin Gordon is leaving in free agency, and that Javante Williams is going to handle the majority of the workload. Like they're not going to bring anyone else in, right? And those are major risks for me to take in a dynasty startup draft. That is like, that is, I'm betting on all of that happening. And can it happen? Yes, absolutely. But I just, there's a lot of things that have to break his way before we crown him as the, you know, the RB2 off the board. Yeah, and I think one thing that really needs to be emphasized is this is not a guy that carried the workload in college either. He split with Michael Carter. So we've ne- there's not even a track record. A lot of times some of these guys come from college and they were the bell cow. They've already proven. And listen, you could say that makes it a little bit better. He has less wear and tear on the tire. Right, there's give, and, there's give and take there. Right, yeah, there's yeah. give and take. But he he's never even shown that he could be the guy who carries well 20. Listen, his body type says maybe he can. But I think it's to be determined. They saw how effective he was this year in tandem. They might want to keep that. So, Jeff, spin this over to the next running back that I know is definitely another hot topic item. Yeah, well, um, you know, we're locking in on on opportunities here. You know, clearly Najee already has that, and we're hoping for Javante to get that. Um, but let's bring it back around to my 49ers here. And um, sort of along the theme that we entered this conversation with when we talked about the quarterbacks, we had pre-draft grades, and then we have on-field production. And clearly, you know, during rookie drafts, everybody was on Trey Sermon first, but Eliza, Elijah Mitchell has really been um, – an on the field sensation for the 49ers. So is he a locked in RB2 for you? And would you trust him to lead the 49ers backfield next year and for the next couple of years? Well, there's two sides of the argument with Elijah Mitchell. The first part is the the latter question that you asked is, is he going to be the lead option for the 49ers for the foreseeable future? And I think the answer to that is a resounding yes. Trey Sermon, I bit on a couple of, I, bought, I bit on him in rookie drafts in a couple of spots, right? Like, you know, we'll have a Trey Sermon support group somewhere. Um, like, you know, I, we definitely thought that Trey Sermon was going to be the guy, the draft capital signaled that that would be the case. And then that just didn't happen. And we saw Elijah Mitchell just lock up this backfield and see a ridiculous workload, right? The, the workload that was rivaling some of the top tier fantasy football options. And of course, when we know that the 49ers run game is just so solid and that it's going to lead to fantasy production, no matter who the running back is and Elijah Mitchell being as talented as he is, it's leading to, yes, he is an RB2 for fantasy football. But the second half of the equation with Elijah Mitchell is, can he stay healthy? That's the other part of this when we evaluate Elijah Mitchell and what he can be for fantasy football. Don't forget that Elijah Mitchell, his tape at uh, what do you come Louisiana, uh, maybe Louisiana Lafayette. I can't remember specifically. Um, but out of that school, he was playing at 230 pounds. And then he comes to the combine and he drops down to all the way down to what 200 pounds, 210, you know, 205, somewhere in that range, and runs the blazing 40 yard dash. And so he completely changed his body. He completely changed his running style. We didn't know exactly what Elijah Mitchell was going to be in the NFL because it was different than his college tape. And so with Elijah Mitchell, then that turns to the question of, 
can his body handle him dropping that much weight and be and taking as many hits as he does at the running back position at that size? 11 games played here this past year. And so I think moving into next year, an RB2, not ready to crown him as an RB1, which we typically would be for someone who's in this type of offense, seeing this amount of work. But at the same time, we have to take into account that he might not play all 16, 17 games. Like that might not be in the realm of possibilities here for Elijah Mitchell. And it's a little bit early. I'm not ready to call him injury prone or, you know, whatever, but we have to take that into account. So as someone as an RB2 on your dynasty roster, where you can live with the, the spikes, you can live with the, the high ceiling. Great. As someone that I want to rely on as the RB1, the cornerstone for my dynasty roster, not there yet. Yeah. Injuries have always been a, you know, the, the theme of that backfield for years now. Yeah. And I mean, I, I have to say I bit on Sermon too, being an AJ Dillon and Ramondre Stevenson fan. Just I lo- I'm a big footwork fan. Um, and I just think one thought that we might have to take away as we, you know, evaluate our process a little bit, um, you know, when we look at how some of these misses occurred is is I think we have to look into situational scouting a little bit. With Kyle Shanahan, I mean, we saw it with Mostert emerging the year before in that wide zone scheme, being able to hit these holes, wide open holes that this offensive line is so good at creating with speed. Uh, that that's probably one thing that maybe was something we put should have put more emphasis on when we were looking at, you know, where do we really want to put our chips. Well, it's interesting, and this is a higher-level conversation, and I love these. It's what was the plan for San Francisco drafting Trey Sermon where they did? And you looked at Sermon, and you were like, okay, an outside zone, a wide zone scheme, that's not what Sermon is necessarily going to be. Uh, you know, he's, not, he's not Raheem Mostert. He's not going to be able to – or Travis Etienne. He's not going to hit that hole, plant his foot in the ground, and you know, fly upfield. He was someone that I thought fit better as an inside zone guy, someone that, you know, he he did, he does have good footwork, someone that can navigate in between the tackles. And then they drafted Aaron Brooks, too, in the second round. And that was someone that was a bigger offensive lineman, someone that doesn't, didn't necessarily fit the outside zone scheme and what you typically think of. So you're maybe like, I think we got a little bit too far into the weeds. I know that I did this of, okay. Are they trying to, now that they've got so many different Kyle Shanahan prodigies around the NFL that are implementing this wide zone scheme, you know, you've got so many of, uh, so many teams are, and offenses are now moving to this where you've got the lighter offensive linemen that are able to get out on the move. Are they now playing chess here and they're going to build back up their offensive line and go, what, because the counteract to that is when you have offenses that are moving to outside zone and speed predicated upon speed, you have to have speed at the linebacker position. So you have smaller guys typically that are able to fly around the football field. Okay, now if the game is chess, build back up your offensive line and then go into, okay, you know, let's let's blow off these smaller linebackers off the ball and let's play smash mouth football with Trey Sermon. Like that was kind of what I was thinking about when they drafted Sermon and why I was a little bit more willing to take the shot on Sermon in the back end of the first round of Dynasty Rookie Drafts. So I think, yeah, it's definitely a higher level conversation. And I think that it really is situation. You mentioned situational scouting. Like it is situation to situation. And I think that we have to maybe not go so far into the weeds sometimes and trying to evaluate and figure out what exactly an offense you know, is trying to do or whether it's the, you know, the GM's trying to put something into place and the head coach doesn't agree with it. There's, there's something there to be, to be talked about. Yeah, I mean, San Francisco definitely has had some 
you know, there's been moments where we've heard Kyle Shanahan pound the table for certain players, and then sometimes it's worked out, sometimes it's not. So it's one of those things where, you know, maybe they didn't see what they wanted to from Sermon, and maybe down the line he gets into the mix, or maybe Elijah Mitchell kind of runs away with the job. Final running back question, Kyle, is there any other running backs that you would feel like you have a strong take on from this rookie class, whether it's Ramondre Stevenson, Michael Carter, it, the the glimpses of, of of really impressiveness we saw out of Khalil Herbert as a guy by now and see if Montgomery ends up leaving Chicago, you know, Kenneth Gainwell, any anybody from this rookie class in terms of the running backs that we haven't talked about that you kind of have a strong take on that might be pretty different than what's out there in the consensus. Sure. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be something where, you know, I'm going to shock you guys and say like, I've got Michael Carter 10 spots above consensus or whatever, you know, but I do think that I am excited for the future for Michael Carter. Uh, I think that this offense can only continue to get better. We know with Joe Douglas as the GM of the New York Jets that he is going to be committed to building up that offensive line and creating running lanes for Michael Carter. So we saw the talent. We knew that he was extremely talented coming out of North Carolina. We knew that he could be a a stout, you know, or, or a consistent pass catcher out of the backfield. We knew all these things. And then we really saw him dominate for fantasy football in a terrible offense. And so we know that, okay, if we've got this sample size to be able to go back on saying that he produced in a big way for fantasy football in a terrible offense. What happens if the offense improves? What happens if we see Zach Wilson take those steps? What happens if we see the offensive line continue to improve? They build, you know, Elijah Moore's healthy and moving into next year and, uh, they get Corey Davis back and healthy. Like they add another receiving option, all these things. If they, those go together, then I think that Michael Carter could be someone that as we, you know, I come back on next year, right. And we, we talk about this and we look back on, uh, and we talk about the big takeaways from 2022. It could be that Michael Carter was a top, you know, he's now a top 12 dynasty running back, you know, just because of what he can be. So he's someone that I'm a big believer in moving forward. And I think something that people really may not have picked up on it is a lot of people in the draft Twitter community thought he was going to be a day two pick. And then he fell to day three, which we know the draft stock does matter, especially in fantasy and real life and opportunity. But Jim Nagy came out and said almost every, uh, the director of the senior bowl came out and said almost every NFL team did have a day two grade on him. But there was an injury that was kind of kept under wraps and wasn't right. publicly you know, talked about in the pre-draft process. And not until Jim Nagy came out with that sometime during this season. I don't I mean, obviously, the NFL teams knew about it, but the public perception did not know about this injury that apparently caused the fall to day three so this isn't a guy like who the nfl didn't view as a day two talent they did there were some other factors that led him to falling to day three and we'll see what opportunity he can make there hopefully the jets could just get better all around and and we could see him uh really shine so let's let's pit, uh transition over to the wide receivers i don't think jamar chase needs a conversation he's the clear <laughs> top rookie wide receiver he should be right at the top of overall dynasty wide receiver ranks probably with his former teammate justin jefferson i think the interesting part goes into the next tiers of these rookie wide receivers i think most people kind of have waddle and devonta smith in that next tier uh how would you kind of rank those two moving forward? I know this year Waddle had more production. He also had more opportunity. And then that next tier, the third tier, I think is really fascinating because that's where I would think that we have Elijah Moore, who showed glimpses down the stretch of what people thought we were going to see all year. We have Kadarius Tony, who had that like two and a half game stretch where he looked like he was <laughs> unstoppable before right. injuries 
you know, ravaged the rest of his season. Rashad Bateman, once he got healthy, showed some glimpses. And then does Amon Ross St. Brown, even as a day three guy, deserve to be in that tier, even though this year, even though I think it comes with some reservations about not a lot of options there for Detroit down the stretch. They obviously will be looking to upgrade, but does his production on the field this year down the stretch warrant him being in that third tier? Whew. All right. A lot to unpack there uh, and get ready. 10 minutes, uh, 10 minute <laughs> rant here. Uh, so no, I think Jamar Chase, you're right. Like locked in. Uh, he's a top five dynasty wide receiver for me. He's someone that you can absolutely build your team around, not just, you know, at the wide receiver position, but someone that you can build your dynasty roster around the entirety of it. Um, Jamar Chase, just dominant season. And it's so funny to look back on what we were talking about in the preseason, right? Jamar Chase can't catch. Uh, he's someone that, you know, might not, uh, you know, he, he might not be able to adjust to the NFL really well or whatever, you know, and it's like looking back on it, it was so ridiculous that we were having those conversations. Uh, so yeah, then the next tier moves into, I think, so Jamar Chase in that top tier, and then it goes to, excuse me, it goes to Jalen Waddle as in my rankings, a guy that's in a tier unto himself. Um, someone that I think is above Devonte Smith, but yet not to the level of Jamar Chase as far as production. I think that from a talent perspective, I had uh, I had Jamar Chase coming into the into the NFL draft last year. I had him as wide receiver one. I had Waddle as two, and then I had Devonte Smith three. So really, how it all kind of played out. And I think that Waddle is someone that I am absolutely comfortable having as a borderline wide receiver one in my dynasty. Uh, in my dynasty rankings, I've got him at actually, I've got him at 10 overall in my wide receiver rankings. So someone that is separate from Devonte Smith, who is at wide receiver 21 in my uh, dynasty rankings. So, and I think that let's move to Devonte Smith. It's not a question of talent. Like even looking back at the, the uh, playoff game from this past weekend, like the two point attempt, I don't know if you guys saw that, but like the two point attempt conversion where he catches it watching that I'm like, the defender picked that off. Like I'm ready to see the defender pop up with the ball and say that he got an interception. And then it's like, no, Devonte Smith caught that. And th- those are the things that jaw dropping plays that Devonte Smith makes that we just look at and we're like, there's the talent. There's the ability. It's never been a question of talent or ability. It's been a matter of Jalen hurts and his inability and ineffectiveness as a passer in the NFL. He's going to be an average passer in the NFL. He's not going to be able to take that step to the point where we look at Devontae Smith cracking the top 12 in dynasty rankings because of consistency, right? He'll have big games. We saw that this past year, Devontae Smith will have big games, but as far as the consistency that is coming down to, and depending upon the quarterback play, Philadelphia has three first round picks this next year. Do they get aggressive and do they either take a quarterback with one of those picks, you know, a a Kenny Pickett out of pit or whatever? Do they take one of those guys or do they move two or three, even all three of those picks for a veteran quarterback? Do they go and get into the Russell Wilson market? Do they go after Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, whatever that looks like? Those are situations where uh, it's going to be interesting to see. And I think that that would cause Devontae Smith to move all the way back up into that territory with Jalen Waddle, which he was in my pre-draft rankings. Awesome. So it, it sounds like you do have a really strong, clear preference when it breaks down these top three options. If if Smith is actually that far away from Waddle as as your third third rookie option here, how how close are those other names like Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, 
Uh, is Kadarius Tony in that conversation for you? And is Amon Ra St. Brown in that conversation for you? I think he's been a fascinating topic that Paul and I have discussed at length over the past month and would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, of course. So it's, I've got Devonte Smith at 21 and then I have Bateman at 28 in my dynasty wide receiver rankings. Uh, I've got Amon Ra St. Brown at 31 and then I've got Elijah Moore at 34 and then Kadarius Tony is at 47. So Tony, it's more so dependent upon his situation and injury. You know, like we have to take that into account. He's a talented receiver, a talented athlete. Let me clarify. Talented athlete that can be a, a viable fantasy option, but he's in a terrible offense and he can't stay healthy. So you have to take that into account. With the other three that you talked about, Bateman, Amon Ross St. Brown, Elijah Moore, all three of those guys are fantastic plays. Uh, players that you can have on your dynasty roster moving forward with Rashad Bateman. It's interesting, right? With this, the usage, uh, he started to show out this past season and we started to feel like he was ascending uh, into potential top 15 territory in dynasty wide receiver ranks. And then uh, they started playing, you know, Baltimore started playing Sammy Watkins over him again. You know, it's just so bizarre and weird when we looked at the talent level of Rashad Bateman and we're like, get this guy the ball and he's going to be dominant he's going to be fantastic and that is just something that we have to take into that we have to take into account moving into 2022 and beyond i'm on ross st brown the hot topic in dynasty you know conversations currently and i get why you guys have talked about him as much as you have with st brown the question has been and the thing that i've seen circulating is is i'm on ross st brown a sell high candidate and i think that in part yes uh if you can sell i'm on ross st brown based on what he did here to end the season if you can sell him for a guy that's you know in the high, uh, high 20s, you know, like in my dynasty wide receiver ranks, if you can move him for even someone that's higher than that, then yes, you do it. You take advantage of that to be able to go after someone who you know what the production is going to be moving forward. However, with that being said, I would love to still have Amon Ross St. Brown on my dynasty rosters. And I do in a lot of spots because I was such a huge fan of Amon Ross St. Brown coming out last year, had no idea why he fell to the fourth round. It was kind of that like Michael Carter situation was like, why is Carter here in the fourth round, you know, to start off day three. And it was the same thing with St. Brown. It was like St. Brown should not be on the board here. He is way too talented of a wide receiver. So I think with those two guys, absolutely pieces that you would love to have on your dynasty roster, Elijah Moore, just a little bit further down the productions there. The talent level is there. It's just a matter of the offense and the structure around him that I'm a little bit concerned about long-term, but as far as, again, I would love to have Elijah Moore on my dynasty roster uh, it's just a matter of maintaining expectations, right? And and keeping that all kind of in check. Yeah, I think those secondary, third option wide receivers is really fascinating. And, and so much about the Amon Ron value will really come down to what did the Lions do, right? If they right. go out and, and, and sign an alpha free agent or draft somebody in the first round, or, or, you know, it could be he could go from the clear top guy to all of a sudden if Hawkinson is healthy and Swift is catching 70, 80 passes and they, they bring in an alpha guy, all of a sudden he could become option four, right? So the, the wide range of potential outcomes for Amon Ra, I think it's fascinating. Let's transition uh, to the final thing of the night and two tight end questions. I'll ask one, then Jeff will follow it up to round it out. First off, Kyle Pitts, while some may look at this year as a little bit of a disappointment, especially because of the touchdowns, he still went over 1,000 yards, which is an impressive season for a rookie tight end. We do not see pr- production like that. I do think his his dynasty value at the tight end position, though, is fascinating. How do you rank Pitts 
with the four, I think, easily defined elite tight ends of Kelsey, Kittle, Waller, and Andrews. Where would Pitts kind of fit in that? Because I, I think some people can make the case for one, and some people can make the case for five, or somewhere in between there. It's funny. I mean, we look at Pitts, and we can kind of say, like, man, this was kind of a disappointing year uh, for Kyle Pitts. Oh, wait, he had over 1,000 yards. He finishes the tight end five. Uh, okay, maybe that wasn't as disappointing as we thought. And then we look at it's all comes down to the touchdown opportunities. And it's interesting with with uh, the conversations that happened after Kyle Pitts went to Atlanta. It was like, okay, is he going to step into that Julio Jones role? And apparently he stepped into that Julio Jones role a little bit too well, where he got a ton of yardage and like no touchdowns. So I think moving forward, it's going to be interesting to see do does Atlanta heading into next year, do they make it more of a concerted effort to get him the ball in the red zone? Because we know that he he's a physical freak. Like he can go up and high point the football. He can be that guy that's a mismatch in the red zone. They just didn't use him. They were like leaning on Lee Smith and Hayden Hurst in, in the red zone at times over Kyle Pitts. And that's something that we, of course, have to take into account next year. But we know that the talent level is still there. To answer your question, Paul, you asked about where exactly does he slide in in my rankings. He's at tight end two in my dynasty rankings moving forward. I would prefer to have him over Travis Kelsey, over George Kittle, uh, Darren Waller. All those guys, though, it's nitpicking. It's, you know, you're really nitpicking as far as which one of those guys you would like. I have Mark Andrews as tight end one in my dynasty rankings. And there's a case to be made that Kyle Pitts could even be tight end one. It just depends on how you want to build out your roster. Are you, you know, depending on how the first few rounds of your startup draft went, are you going and saying, okay, I'm looking like I'm building a team that's going to compete this year. Okay, then great. Then I'm going to take Mark Andrews because I know that he has the proven production. The touchdown upside is there. It's absolutely within reach. Okay. Then I'm going to take Mark Andrews because he gives me the best chance to win right now. If I'm building for the future and I have a younger team, and a team that can will still be able to compete, right? Kyle Pitts is not going to ghost your team. He's not going to be this complete development pro, developmental project. Then I might be more willing to take Pitts there. So it's really, you know, like I said, it's nitpicking there at the top, but Kyle Pitts is someone that we have to be excited about moving forward. And we have to recognize that what he did this year is truly astonishing for a rookie tight end. One final question to round us out, uh, Kyle. So, you know, most of the other tight ends in this past draft are, you know, intriguing long-term lottery options, but we did have Pat Fryermuth breakout. So what expectations should we have for him? And what tier would you slot him into? Is he a Hawkinson Goddard tier? Is he a little bit lower, like Gesicki Fant? Where would he kind of, what other names would you slide him around? Well, it's so funny. You said Hawkinson and Goddard. I've got him sandwiched in between both of them. I have Hawkinson at tight end six in my dynasty rankings, Pat Fryermuth at seven, Dallas Goddard at eight. And I think with Fryermuth, I was kind of pounding the table all throughout the draft process last year of like, listen, Kyle Pitts is great, but let's not freaking forget about Pat Fryermuth. Like this is a guy who has the potential to be a dominant fantasy option based on his skill set, based on his talent. Uh, so yeah, I think that Pat Fryermuth is someone that we have to be excited about moving forward. Yet at the same time, we have to be a little bit reserved because, okay, what do they do with the quarterback position? You know, next year we know that Ben's gone. So it's like, what? what are they going to do? Do they go to Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins? You know, like then at that point, I might not be as excited about Pat Fryermuth. Do they bring in a veteran quarterback? Do they, like the names that I mentioned earlier, do they make a play for Russell Wilson and get him out of Seattle? And at that point, I'm going to be excited, even more so excited about Pat Fryermuth. So yeah, he's in this kind of weird territory where it's like, I'm really excited for him long-term, but yet there are still some questions about what he, what his actual value is going to be, at least for 2022. But as far as long-term, he's still someone that I absolutely, absolutely 
want to have on my roster and have in a lot of spots because I was as high as him, uh, high on him as I was last year. Yeah, it seems like people devalued him too much because of how much of an athletic freak and greatness of Kyle Pitts was. It wasn't that long ago that he was considered the tight end one in that college landscape prior to Pitts' final season, you know, at Florida. So it's really interesting you talked about the quarterback. And and even, I don't know if you guys all saw the report by Mike Garofolo over the weekend was that the expectation is that Calvin Ridley and the Falcons are headed for a, a split, a divorce. Right. And Mike Garofolo is similar to like Jake Lazor. Like he just doesn't come out with the Things for the sake of coming out right and he, yep. he mike Garofolo was the one who broke the odell beckham trade like like when when he says something like that sounds like that's where maybe that's headed so now we're talking julio gone ridley gone it's going to be pitts and a new supporting cast there uh so that's going to be really interesting uh with that and we know tight end is so much of it it kind of connects with what's around you. Like even Dallas Goddard going back to you talking about before with Devonta Smith, his value really is tied up to, do they, do they have find an upgrade on Jalen Hurts in terms of a pure passer? If Deshaun Watson ends up in Philadelphia, well, the sky's the limit for Dallas Goddard. Right. So yep. it's going to be interesting to kind of follow this. Kyle, thank you so much uh, for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on, pick your brain. I'm sure most of our audience is following you, but please let the audience know where to follow you. If you guys got anything on the horizon that's a little bit different or unique at over at Fantasy Pros and you want to share it, uh, please uh, let our audience know as well. Absolutely, guys. Always fun to get the chance to talk to you. Uh, you can find and follow me on Twitter at KyleYNFL over on Instagram at the same handle. Uh, no, we're just cranking away content, man. Right now we are in the process of all right, let's start scouting these guys because uh, during the season, I have no time to be able to dig into uh, college football and prospects. I can kind of keep a pulse on it, but uh, now it is time. Let's let's get out the film and let's start uh, cranking through some. So I just, you know, watched five games of Chris Olave the other day. You know, like that's that's the part of the season where we're at. So we're heading into some fun stuff. Make sure you stay tuned. Absolutely. Guys, make sure you're following Kyle. Make sure you're checking out all their work over at Fantasy Pros. So on behalf of Kyle, on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.